You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Big Idea Friday, which means you'll be hearing Sangram share a specific concept that has transformed the way he lives his life and leads his business. Like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another episode of Flip My Funnel Podcast. I have been traveling quite a bit uh, this year as well, and uh, I've been able to meet some incredible speakers along the way. So as and when I meet somebody, I want to bring them on the show because I learned so much. I want everybody to learn a lot more from them. So today, we have somebody who has been on both sides of the house, which is on the commerce side, which is the for-profit, and also on the cause side, which is nonprofit. And, And she's able to bring these two worlds. And I wanted her to come in and talk about how do these things work similarly or dissimilarly? What should people learn? And the big idea or the big topic for today is what is a brand? How you define a brand, how you live a brand, what are the great examples of building great brand? Because we all know brand is an asset and it's hard to measure until you see it working for you. So I have the founder of the additive agency, Harley Berland. Harley, welcome to the show. Very nice to meet you. To you again, I should say. Again, Haley Berlant. I'm with the Additive Agency based in New York. Very excited to be here with you. Awesome. Well, let's start with a fun fact about yourself. Fun fact. All right. I was born in a very small town in South Africa called Pachastrum, which had one traffic light and grew up in Durban, South Africa. So come a long way to, to land in New York. And I'm really excited to have built the business. Came here with nothing. And that's the the sort of ideal of America, right? You work oh, hard, yeah. everything is possible. So really excited to, again, be here with you today. It is so true. Like I, I talk about this to, with folks and they don't believe me when I say that, hey, look, obviously I'm originally from India and I came from a place called Nagpur where we don't really have mailboxes. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Well, how do people give you mail? Like how is the postman, like how, how do they deposit mail in, you know, for you? And you're like, well, no, they just walk inside the house and we get the mail from them. We ask about their family. They know our family and generations of it. They probably sometimes have chai with us and they go to the next house, right? I mean, that's how a small town I came from where we just knew each other. Now the town has grown. So, you know, probably not the same anymore. Like about 20, 30 years ago, that's exactly how it was. And I love every part of it. I know it's, it's, um, you know, I think that's the value we bring to business though, is having a different perspective, right? I think that is, when you think about where great ideas come from, they come from people having seen the world from a different point of view and bringing that to bear with people from elsewhere who think differently of differently, different backgrounds. And so, yeah, I think all of those stories, having you a chai tea with the yeah. mail delivery person or growing up in, in South Africa, again, I, I have nothing but sort of fond memories, but also growing up in South Africa, I think with the backdrop of apartheid, you know, you, it really does define much like I'm sure growing up in India does, it de- defines sort of how you see the world and what you choose to pursue in your career. And I think that's a big part of why I do the work I do, right? It's you can stand on the sidelines and watch things happen, or you could do something about it. And I think that's as true of for-profits or non-profits. We all have a role and responsibility in society. And so the question is, what role do we decide to assume? What actions do we inspire people to take? 
Love that. And I know that was your topic when we spoke at Together in Asheville a few, I guess, a few months ago. And I was blown <laughs> away because you were able to bring both the commerce side of the house and saying, that, well, this is how nonprofit, uh, for-profit companies do. And then you had all these examples of for nonprofit organizations and how they build brand and how they're able to drive and create a lot of value and how they're emotionally connecting with their audience. And as someone who is a founder of a company for profit, I was like, well, that's what we do. Like, that's exactly what we try to do. And so I was, I was like really in and out of that whole thing was, was relating to almost everything you were saying. So I thought it'd be a really great idea for you to just start with what is brand and how you define brand since you have been on both sides of the house. Absolutely. So, you know, as you and I have talked about, I've led branding engagements over the years from organizations that have a B2B and a B2C component like Aetna, which was recently acquired by CVS, but I led the branding of Aetna to big engineering and architecture companies like Stantec, which is based in Canada, to having led many, many large complex engagements for organizations as varied as Memorial Sloan Kettering, Rotary International, the YMCA of the USA. And interestingly, organizations like the YMCA of the USA, although they're nonprofits, have a commercial engine as well. There's membership and program revenue, and of course, philanthropic revenue too. So the reason I sort of share those examples is it actually doesn't matter what kind of organization they're in or what sector they work in. The ideal of brand transcends sector. It really is a lens for the way you think, act, and communicate, and having a discipline around that. And I think a lot of people assume brand is the identifier, the logo, or the ad campaign, or the tagline. Those are manifestations of brand, but really, if you think about truly iconic brands, they bring their promise to life at every single touch point, whether it's a retail experience, a customer service call, a transactional email, and really, again, sort of live it. And I, I would say that really is the ideal of brand. It's not what you say. It's really what you do. So that's, that's really brand in a nutshell and where it has to go and where it is at its best. Absolutely. I love that. Now, when you said, when we were talking even before, and as you emphasize this brand is brand is not what your corporate identity is, the logo and all that stuff. Brand is what you do. And I want really to really listen and, and kind of absorb this is like, you have to live it. Which companies come to your mind as examples of these iconic brands? They actually live it. And, and we all kind of think about it when you say a name is like, oh, yeah, we all just get a picture of it. Which examples do you have to share with us? Well, I think there's some really interesting examples. I'm going to share some I haven't worked with, but I should have mentioned in my introduction, I do teach at Columbia University. I teach a graduate course on the business of issues, actually, which yeah. is all about this convergence of commerce and cause. And there's some really interesting examples we focus on with our graduate students, one of them is Unilever. I think it's a really powerful example of a brand that has actually taken this idea of sustainable living and not just sort of communicated about it, or, but what it's done is it's looked at its portfolio, its business, and said, okay, we have everything from cleaning products like Dove to sunlight soap to food. If we're going to be about sustainable living, how do we actually integrate that into our business model, Right. And they've done an enormous amount of work to ensure that they have a sort of more efficient supply chain, that they are actually reducing sugars in foods, et cetera. So they are, this is an idea, an organization that has a massive global portfolio, and 
Yes, they are public. They're accountable to shareholders. Now, they are based in Europe, so they don't have quite the pressures of a public company that's on the stock exchange here. But they do, they are accountable to shareholders and the ability to have the courage to actually say, no, this is our stake in the ground as both a business and a brand. And we're going to bring this to life in not just everything we say, but what we do and how we interact with the beneficiaries, the consumers. And a big reason they do this is because they have the power to actually scale for good. And I'd argue Starbucks is a similar example. Now, I'm not going to say Starbucks hasn't made missteps over time. I think we all remember Race Together. That was not sort of hugely successful, but I think the intention behind it was right. Whatever your feelings are around Starbucks, if you prefer Blue Bottle or Joe's or whatever your coffee is of preference or Dunkin' Donuts, (laughs) whatever your feeling is. The truth is they have a much bigger idea. It's about nurturing the human spirit, one cup, one neighborhood, and community at a time. And they do bring that to life, I would argue, in in the partnerships that they make, Ethos Water, the fair trade sort of push that they've made. They were one of the early adopters to really sort of advocate for fair trade. Now, you could argue there's some better ways to do so, but the truth is they have a scale, a global footprint to actually move markets. So they're using their scale for good. And I would strongly recommend if if any of you haven't read Onwards by Howard Schultz that you do, because although he's not currently the CEO and, and he stepped back to take on his foundation and other things, what he's done is, again, even the way he engages his community with my Starbucks idea, right, to do crowd sharing for new ideas and new products. He is actively engaging and interacting with his communities beyond selling a cup of coffee. So I think that's another great example of a brand that although they've made missteps, the intention is right, right? If they're about a third space community, you know, the idea behind Race Together was right. Like, how do we foster conversations? It's just, it's not the barista's role to do that. Yeah. Um, it should be self-generated, but the intent was right, right? So I think Unilever, Starbucks, even Nestle is another organization that has a global footprint and they are big believers in creating shared value. So they're not going to just, you know, their brand purpose is not just to do good. It's, it's to basically generate revenue, but do it in an ethical and responsible way. So if they can support farmers, they can have better inputs or ingredients. And so everyone benefits. So they're another organization that is really living their brand in a very powerful way. And it's having a positive impact on their business. So they're inextricably linked. And I think one of the things you and I chatted about is I think a lot of people, because they do perceive brand to be, you know, the logo, the corporate identity, they see it as a cost center rather than a revenue generator. But it really is a revenue generator because it's forging greater internal uh, cohesion It's strengthening affinity with external stakeholders, whether it's shareholders or customers or prospective customers. And that creates retention and loyalty, which is the ideal for us all. Yeah, totally. I love that. And I think you're so right on the idea of brand as I was taking notes on this is it is so hard to measure brand until it works, right? And when it works, everybody's like, well, that's great. We should have done that right? As if it was a project of, pet project of somebody on the side. It's not like, you know, in the B2B world, we can talk about Salesforce building an iconic brand through their community of Dreamforce and HubSpot doing that with Inbound as they do. And all these different other companies, both in B2B and B2C are leveraging this idea of community, but it, it doesn't start with, without maybe the founders or maybe 
the very early on folks. I wonder where does this start? Where does building and having a brand start? Who does it start with? I'd say having done this for 20 something years, 20 plus years, it really has to be driven by the leadership of an organization, but lived by all. So if you don't have the endorsement, the buy-in, the sort of absolute enthusiasm of the leadership, it is very hard for it to truly be optimized because it won't be integrated with the business strategy, right? The leadership team generally owns the business strategy. So for this to not just be marketing a communications exercise, right? Or just a pet initiative, as you noted, it really does have to be understood, engaged, and driven by leadership. So you look at iconic brands, it's no coincidence that the leadership were notoriously sort of in the weeds. So Howard Schultz and Starbucks, Steve Jobs and Apple, like these iconic brands were because these leaders understood the value of it and integrated into the operations of the organization. You look at what happened when Howard Schultz left the first time and how Starbucks went awry, and then he came back and recentered the organization, right? So that is sort of a challenge, right? It has to be driven initially. What you want to do to ensure it's a sustainable or sustained brand is ensure that as you're going through the process, that you educate and empower the entire workforce. So they have to take the brand, be a part of its development and also see how it applies to their day-to-day so it's real. It's not some esoteric strategy that's in a PowerPoint. So one of the things we do really well is when we're developing a brand is we engage various stakeholder groups. And when the strategy is developed, we say, okay, if you're in sales, so if you're in human resources, what does this mean? Say if we're talking to a human resources team, what does it mean for rewards and recognition, right? How are we going to do the review process differently? When we work with universities, right, we have to say, you think about admissions, how are you going to do your beyond sort of GMATs or LSATs or SATs or ACTs, depending on the school, beyond the sort of hard metrics, what's the essay question going to be? What's the tour going to look like? So you get people to own sort of how it's amplified and activated so they feel like there's ownership so that when the leadership moves on or there's change, you've got a whole team that believes and owns that brand. So it is inextricably linked with the culture and the DNA of the organization. That's how brands thrive beyond one leader, but it has to initially be driven by the leadership team and integrated with the operations and the business strategy. Love that. I totally love that. One of the areas that you, before we started recording, you mentioned that, you know, even in talking about like just social change and there is this move that's happening where for-profit are trying to be like non-profit. Yeah. Non-profit are trying to be like for-profit. Can you share like in what ways they're doing that? Absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a trend that is not going away. So I think a great example, I'm going to use a B2C example. If you think about Nike, right? Yeah. I think what Nike's done is, you know, they, they sort of innovate and inspire so that every athlete can reach their full potential, right? And they define an athlete as if you have a body, you're an athlete, right? So what I mean by that is they use that as a lens, that brand is, and that strategy is a lens for everything they do, whether it's repurposing uh, materials to create sustainable shoes, or it's creating the hijab so that everyone has access to apparel, sort of athletic wear that sort of takes into account coverage, or plus size apparel. They were one of the first big makers because if you have a body, you should be able, whatever shape, size, you should be able to realize your full potential as an athlete. And so that is a lens that they bring to life in everything they do. But it's also why 
They can talk about equality with credibility, right? Their equality platform last year that they deployed during Black History Month was very credible because the ball bounces the same for everyone. When you're on the court, it's about your talent, right? Not the color of the skin, your skin, who you love, where you're from. It is the, the ultimate societal equalizer. And they're very much had that in their DNA. So whatever you think about their Kaepernick, their recent Kaepernick a partnership in their campaign, it's in alignment with their DNA as an organization. You may not like it, but the truth is they are about equality. They are about diversity. They are about opportunity and potential. And that's who they are. So it becomes a criteria for taking on social issues and deciding what social issues they can take on. Let me use two more examples. If I think if you think about Patagonia and REI, you could argue they're doing outdoor apparel, but they're both brands that understand that they need to be environmental stewards because they understand who their consumers are. And so they bring that to life in their supply chain in encouraging people to recycle versus just buy. And also, again, when there was a whole rollback on national parks, it made sense for them to go out against sort of what the current administration was doing as it relates to the environment and its stance on national parks because they are about stewardship of the outdoors. It makes sense for them. And what happens is their customers, who they know very well, who they understand are aligned with the, their sort of brand strategy, their brand position, that deepens that their loyalty and commitment to these brands because they're not just selling them things, they're actually stewarding and supporting issues that they care about. And so that makes them willing to pay a higher premium because they believe like they're supporting a brand that is aligned. And when they wear Patagonia, it's not just about wearing Patagonia. It says something about your identity as an individual. So we're seeing a lot of corporations take on social issues. Now, I think when they do it well is, again, when they use their brand strategy as a strategic lens, where corporations, whether they be to c or B2B, misstep is when they're just being reactive to the issues of the moment because they're trying to superficially gain customers. So really good brands, even on the B2B side, and, and again, has a B2C component, but Microsoft, really strong commitment to social impact and social good, but it's aligned with how they do business. So again, they're using brand as a way to drive their business and also social impact at the same time. On the flip side, a lot of organizations in the social sector understand that they can no longer, with companies like Tom's, organizations, Warby Parker, where the social and business sort of strategies are wholly interrelated, they're realizing they can't just appeal to prospective donors or volunteers by saying, oh, you should fund my great cause. Because, you know, candidly, customers don't have to give money in order to have a social impact. They could go onto Everlane's website on Giving Tuesday and see that they're going to clean up beaches through Surfrider Foundation. You know, so nonprofits have to work twice as hard. They need to do testing around their relationships. They need to be transparent in how they're reporting the impact, right? You're not just going to continue to donate money when you don't know that it's actually achieving social aims. So nonprofits are taking on the measurement and metric tools of for-profits. They're doing brand benchmark research. So we work with one of the most iconic nonprofits. Unfortunately, I cannot say their name. They raise more than a billion dollars a year. They test everything. They hold themselves accountable because they know that they need, they are responsible to their beneficiaries, right? So they need to make sure that they are moving the needle and they invest a lot of time and resources in doing research so that they can be transparent and accountable to their donor base. So we're seeing sort of 
a convergence of commerce and cause, nonprofits taking on accountability, transparency, reporting in the way that corporations have had to do to shareholders. And on the flip side, we're seeing corporations, whether they be B2P or B2C, really understand that they need to use this scale for good if they're going to stand out in a competitive context and, again, forge that relationship, that lasting relationship with consumers. And the truth is, there's a lot of data right now to say it's not just nice to have, it's an expectation among customers and consumers. They expect corporations to take on social issues because they don't believe government and traditional organizations like organized religion are going to do so. You can look at the Gallup polls on trust in institutions, and you can see time and time again, the expectation is shifting to the corporate sector. I love that. I love that. So I typically, as I said earlier, normally take notes. And I'm normally taking two pages of notes, but this time I've taken about four pages of notes. So you trumped uh, like a lot of different interviews I had. So I'm going to have a hard time summarizing a ton of this. I'm going to still try to do maybe two or three big ideas as I sift through this right now. And I'd love for you to think about a challenge you want to share with everybody who's listening who are primary in leadership roles in marketing sales or success. So number one, I feel like, you know, you, you started off by saying that, well, we started defining brand, but you really made a big point, which I, I hope nobody, it's not lost on anybody, which is brand transcends the sector that you're in. It, it's not about that particular sector. It really should transcend that. You need to have a much greater value that you are supposed to create for your customers. And it, it really is important to understand that it transcends it, not just supports it in, yeah. in some ways. I think that was a big thing. The other part was, I truly believe that, and I've seen it a million times where there is a tremendous amount of positive impact on brand and and because of which they're able to charge more to their customers because they have a bigger and better brand. They're able to keep the customers longer, as you said, from a retention because they care about the lawyer, the the customers want to be part of that. And, and, And then three, because they build great communities, they really feel like they're solving a problem. So you really create evangelists in your, in your community. So there's a tremendous amount of positive impact if it's done right. Now, the caveat, another big idea you said, I think this is, we should frame this somewhere. (laughs) This says, it has to be driven by leader, but lived by all. Yes. And I think that is, again, a really big idea. Like brand has to be driven by a leader. And whoever that is, we talk about many leaders and most people know them in organizations, but it has to be, and this is the, the kicker, it has to be lived by all. So if you're a leader who's building this brand, but as soon as you're gone, if the organization falls apart, you haven't created a sustainable culture exactly. that will create a brand that can live after however number of years. And I know it's difficult because you are the personification of that brand. But if you really ever want to create a bigger brand, the best thing is that there is a legacy of what you really stood for. And I think Apple is a, is a great example. Nike is a great example of it. And probably another, again, there are like 10, 20 the big ideas in here. But the other big one that I feel like you start, started talking about was that, well, why is Nike as a company able to stand up for issues outside of what a corporation typically does? like equality or diversity. Well, they're able to do that because that's what their brand is. That is for every athlete out there, they're trying to build something for them. So they are already doing that. So it's not a big deal. So going back to your first point, it should transcend whatever sector you're in. I think Nike and that example that you shared totally, totally 
totally crushed it. So again, I have a lot more. Uh, <laughs> but I think those were like three or four big ideas. So what is the one challenge that you want to share with everybody who's thinking about building a brand? I think there's sort of three questions I would say any sort of brand builder should think about, which is what are we great at? What gets us out of bed every day? And what drives our commercial engine, right? When you think about how you build a strong brand, it really has to encapsulate all those three things because it can't obviously just be so uh, inspirational that it doesn't relate to sort of how you make money. That's really important. It can't be just what you're great at, but it's not inspiring. So it has to be at the intersect of those three things. So I'd really challenge all of your listeners to think about what are we great at? What gets me excited to get out of bed every day? And sort of what drives our commercial engine? And how are we going to articulate that in a way that drives the way we think, the way we act, and the way we communicate? That's critically, critically important. Wow. I love those three questions. And that's a solid takeaway. Thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom, specific, actionable use cases beyond my wildest imagination. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for inviting me and really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.